How Can I Help is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. What would you do if you thought someone you knew had an eating disorder? Um, I think that's a really hard one to answer. It can sometimes be pretty difficult to approach. Don't ignore it, I guess is number one. Um, I think I would ask them if there's any way that I can help them, or if not, maybe encourage them to get professional help for it. Um, I think that I would probably try to talk to them about it, see if they wanted to open up, but uh, it's it's a hard topic to discuss. From Pro Bono News, this is How Can I Help? A podcast for people who want to help, but don't know where to start. I'm Wendy Williams, the editor of Pro Bono News. Each week, I'll speak to someone who knows firsthand what it's like to live through different issues. I'll also talk to the experts, the people working on the front lines, about what you and I can do to help. This podcast is not going to solve the world's problems, but it might just give some of us the tools we need to help make the world a better place. A warning before we begin. This episode contains discussions of eating disorders that may be triggering. Eating disorders can come in all shapes and sizes. They are widely misunderstood and grossly underestimated by the public. But over a million Australians are currently experiencing an eating disorder. Of those with eating disorders, 47% have binge eating disorder, 12% have bulimia nervosa, 3% have anorexia nervosa, and 38% have other eating disorders such as purging disorder or rumination disorder. Contrary to what some people may think, eating disorders are not a lifestyle choice nor are they a cry for attention. They're actually serious and potentially life-threatening mental illnesses. But what do you do if you know someone who is living with an eating disorder? In this episode of How Can I Help, we speak with Corey Baruta, who has lived experience of anorexia nervosa, and Danny Rowlands, the National Manager of Prevention Services at the Butterfly Foundation. Corey believes there are a number of things that led to her eating disorder. Perfectionist personality, being a dancer and so being constantly in front of mirrors, being told by her dance teacher she could never be a ballet dancer because she didn't have the body for it, comparing her body to other girls, all combined with pressure at school. When she was 16, Corey began to lose weight to feel better about herself and to fit in with her fellow dancers. After some weight loss, she began receiving compliments about how great she looked. This validated her and she continued to restrict what she ate. Her condition got worse. She became underweight to the point she could barely walk. I ended up losing quite a lot of weight, um, but it got worse before I could really get help. Um, Unfortunately, my doctors never really saw an issue with um, me being underweight at that stage in my life and never really um, referred me on to treatment or ever really considered that I might have an issue. Um, which then ended up leading me to being hospitalised. And I ended up receiving extensive treatment for um, many months whilst in hospital, um, both medically and um, for my mental health. Um, But after those months, I was discharged and I was eating better and had restored a lot of the weight I had lost 
So I guess from that stage, I embarked on my recovery and continued to have a lot of support whilst I was living from home, seeing therapists regularly, a dietitian, doctors, physicians, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, to sort of eventually get to where I am today, where I can eat without um, fixating on my body or how the food might impact the way I look. Yeah, fantastic. And thank you for sharing all of that. I've got quite a lot of questions based on what you just said that we'll circle back to, particularly around your doctor's reaction. But you mentioned there that it kind of got out of control quite quickly. Did you recognize it as an eating disorder? At what point in your journey did you realize that you might need help? For a long time, I didn't know it was an issue. I guess because we live in a society where losing weight or, you know, trying to eat healthier is seen as socially acceptable or something that's often praised by the media. Um, so I thought that I was doing myself a favour. I thought that I was improving my health and whilst also, I guess, improving my body and becoming, I guess, what I considered an ideal body. Having previously been in a slightly larger body, I experienced, I guess, some a bit of discrimination, especially in the world that I was in. I did a lot of dancing when I was younger. So being in a slightly larger body um, came with, I guess, some criticism um, for the way I looked. For a long time, I didn't really know it was an issue. Um, it was only really when, I guess, my mum flagged to me that there was a lot of foods which I used to eat that I was no longer eating, things that I used to really love and enjoy and I guess I decided to cut out of my diet. I guess when I realised I I couldn't eat things that I once could because I had so much fear around them, that's when I sort of realised that maybe I'd gotten myself into a bit of strife. <laughs> um, Unfortunately, though, I never really reached out or asked for help. And that was honestly the stage where I could have gotten the help I needed and could have prevented, I guess, a much worse outcome and, you know, um, long-standing eating disorder. As I lost weight, my brain became more starved and I couldn't think logically. So as my mom would continue to express her concern for me, I was very dismissive and just couldn't recognize anymore that I had an issue. I think I subconsciously also didn't want to recognize that I had an issue because the eating disorder sort of wanted to maintain this control over me and went to extreme lengths to be able to deceive others or, or like present on face value that I was perfectly fine when in reality I was really not fine and I was actually harming myself. Yeah, and that's, that must be really, really hard. And you mentioned there uh, your mum a couple of times that she was kind of pointing things out and she was aware. So were your family and friends aware of what was going on with you? Um, look, my mum was always very aware of, you know, I guess my eating because I lived at home still and I guess, you know, we'd eat as a family and those sorts of things. 
as I said earlier, I went to measures, I guess, to hide my eating disorder and hide any, I guess, behaviors that might've been considered abnormal, um, which I now know were like disordered eating habits. Um, so I would try and eat out or away from my family, or I would say that I'd eaten out to kind of, I guess, um, avoid having to eat at home. And maybe I'd actually just skipped a meal. Um, being so close to my mom, she was very switched on and could tell that things went right. Um, she tried to intervene a lot of times and she did try to intervene even when I was aware that I had an issue, but that's kind of when the doctors weren't really, I guess, like receptive to what my mum's concerns were. Towards the end when I was very physically unwell, um, quite underweight and I could really barely move on my own um she would take me to doctors um weekly to try and get I guess a different consensus from them um because my regular GP was not really giving her the reassurance she wanted that her concern was actually valid um it wasn't until yeah she went, took me to this psychiatrist um for an assessment to get into a particular clinic um which was for an eating disorder that um, he said to me, yes, you definitely have an eating disorder. And this was news to me at that stage. Um, but he couldn't take me into his clinic because I was so medically compromised, um, which was when then I had to be sent to the hospital, um, which is really unfortunate when I think about it now because there were so many opportunities along the way where uh, my mum's concerns could have been, I guess, validated, um, but they weren't. And I think that goes to show the, I guess, there's still a lot of misunderstanding around eating disorders, even in the health profession. And can we pick up on that a little bit? Like, why do you think it was that doctor after doctor just didn't acknowledge that you had an issue? I think it's really interesting because a lot of people have a similar experience where they go to the doctor to get some sort of um, explanation for what's going on for them, but the doctors are very dismissive. And this can tend to happen in people with eating disorders who maybe um, don't experience the drastic changes in weight, um, which are often the stereotypical version of what an eating disorder is or looks like. I myself was experiencing weight loss, yet I was still dismissed by my doctor, who basically said, even to my mom, who was in the room, that, you know, I was underweight, but as a young teenage girl, that was considered in his mind relatively normal and okay. I think another factor which does come into play, and I do need to, I guess, put emphasis on, is the fact that eating disorders are very deceptive. And I, as a result, was very, I guess, reassuring of people that I was totally fine. And, you know, I was eating. I wasn't completely starving myself, which I guess, you know, to on face value comes across that I was on top of things. Like I was... I was 18, so I was, you know, an adult. I could look after myself and I knew how to eat and, you know, not really knowing that it was my eating disorder making me act this way, but I was really good at convincing people that I didn't need the help. 
And can you talk to me a little bit about during this period, how did living with an eating disorder impact on you and your family? I think one of the biggest things was that it put a lot of strain on my family relationships. Um, my mum, mum's great and she's always been incredibly supportive. But I guess at the start, before we even knew we were dealing with an eating disorder, none of my family had ever experienced anything like this. So I guess a lot of the ways that they maybe tried to cope with or tried to combat me not eating were maybe not that effective and created, I guess, more barriers between us, Um, whether that was like just telling me to just eat or, you know, that, you know, I needed to eat for the, like the people starving in Africa or, you know, all these different, I guess, ways that they tried to draw upon to get me to eat more, which, you know, I can't blame them for because it's coming from a place of care and trying to help it just created, yeah, more barriers between me and them. And I ended up not trusting them anymore because I felt that they were just trying to get me to eat, which is the last thing I wanted really. Was there anything they could have done at that time that would have helped you? Or do you think in that moment you just, you didn't want to hear it, it from them? It depends. Um, when I was getting quite underweight, as I said earlier, like my brain was so starved that logic just wouldn't work. And even if they had come from a compassionate point of view and I guess expressed their concerns without sort of pushing something upon me, which I would consider a relatively good approach, um, it wouldn't have made a difference just because I was so rigid in my thoughts and not going to shift on my own. Um, as unfortunate as it was that I had to go to hospital, it was what I was needing at that stage. Um, but as I said earlier, there was that stage where I recognized that I was not okay. And if I had had mum maybe step in and approach from, I guess, yeah, a compassionate point of view and express her concern and wanting to help me get help, I might have followed through a little bit more. And so let's talk a little bit about that moment, though. So you then you were hospitalized, but what did help you then? What turned that around? So once I had started gaining some weight and I'd started eating more regularly, my thoughts or my brain were able to function better. This is when I started doing a lot more therapy at the hospital um, and seeing clinicians every day to talk about my feelings, which I was not a fan of, but it really did help, I guess, to express what was going on for me and have my feelings validated because I'd never met anyone who felt the same way about food and eating as I did. I think that alone was helpful, but I was still very resistant for a long time, hence why I ended up staying in hospital for five months um, just because I had such a pushback and I was not convinced that I could actually recover and get better it almost felt easier to resort back to my eating disorder and let it destroy me because I didn't have the motivation and I didn't think that I was worthy enough to get better. So um, in the process of recovering, I had to do a lot of work around self-worth and um, 
building up confidence in myself, which I've done even outside of hospital and in the last few years, just to become more confident and recognize that my worth goes beyond what I look like, like and my weight and my shape and that um, I'm still a good enough person. So I think a lot of that work really helped me. And what do you wish more people understood about it? What could we change as a society to, you know, prevent this from happening or keep happening? Yeah, look, I think people need to realise and that, you know, it needs to be spread, that eating disorders are not a choice. Um, I think there's a large misconception that eating disorders are attention-seeking or coming from a place of vanity alone. Um, But they are often represented as people who you know want to be seen and want to be heard and want to I guess have themselves out on display but in reality people with eating disorders more often than not are wanting to shy away from the world and are wanting to be not seen by others I mean I know that's what my eating disorder ended up being about because I didn't feel that I was good enough I also think that you know it's important for people to know that eating disorders are not just a phase that someone can be going through and if we have this sort of mentality that it's a phase someone will grow out of it will potentially develop into something worse. If you were giving advice then to friends or family or people who are concerned that someone they know is dealing with an eating disorder what advice would you give them and how they can best support that person? Um, I think it definitely comes back into that, like firstly them recognising and knowing that their young person that they know and knew before the eating disorder came about is still in there and to not lose hope um, for them coming back and being reconnected with them. I think when talking with a young person who has an eating disorder, um, it can be really useful to, I guess, Um, talk about things about the eating disorder, not about the individual. Like it seems like the eating disorder is not wanting you to eat or finish your dinner rather than using the person themselves. Um, It can also really help the individual realise that they are not their eating disorder and allows them the opportunity to realise what their thoughts are and what their eating disorder thoughts are because some people like myself, I was often in conflict between knowing I needed to eat my dinner for my health but then also having my eating disorder voice screaming over the top saying, no, you can't finish this, you can't eat this. So I think if parents understand that there's a lot of inner turmoil and battle in their young person's minds, um, it can be really helpful for the young person to feel understood and know that people around them are not blaming them for the way they're acting and it can really help the young person feel like they can reach out for help too. As Corey says, it can be helpful to separate the individual from the eating disorder. Their eating disorder is not a choice or about vanity and it's more than just a phase. Yet research from the National Eating Disorders Collaboration shows that over 50% of 12 to 17-year-olds still believe that a person with an eating disorder should snap out of it. These types of misconceptions are common. Danny Rowlands is the National Manager of Prevention Services at the Butterfly Foundation, the national charity for Australians impacted by eating disorders and body image issues. She says there is a lot of misunderstanding around eating disorders. 
The most simple response is that eating disorders are um, considered mental illnesses that have quite serious physical complications. They're complex in how they develop um, and they affect people of all ages from all backgrounds um, and all genders. And we know that um, the development of an eating disorder is can be slow, it can be fast, um, but we also know that, I guess, being a mental illness, that first and foremost, that is the the thing that needs to be um, supported in a person. But there's a lot of misunderstanding around eating disorders um, and there are many different types of eating disorders that people can experience. And this podcast is really about encouraging people in ways that they can help if they think they know someone that's experiencing an eating disorder. Um, You've talked about already that it is quite complex and there's no straight answers. Are there signs that people can look out for? Yeah, there are. There are lots of warning signs that people might notice. Unfortunately, with an eating disorder, a lot of the warning signs might be happening behind the scenes more, um, much more rapidly, I guess, than what people can actually see in in that visual. So often when real behaviours are starting to be noticed by someone, that's not the first thing that might have been experienced, that the mental um, anguish and the emotional pain and trauma and, and someone dealing with all that um, may have been developing for for some time before behavioural um, things might be noticed. But I guess if um, someone is really concerned, it is about, I think, understanding that if someone's worried about somebody, there's generally a good reason for that. No one's in a position, unless you're a health professional, to obviously diagnose somebody with an eating disorder, but we encourage people to just seek out information about eating disorders. The Butterfly Foundation website has a heap of different fact sheets and information on what eating disorders are and aren't. But I guess if someone's concerned about somebody, we encourage first to to become informed about eating disorders and to understand, you know, are they, is is it that that might be experienced or is it something else? And regardless, even if it's a mental health and it's not necessarily an eating disorder, we obviously always encourage somebody to do something rather than nothing. So seeking information first to understand um, and then we obviously encourage people to intervene as soon as they possibly can uh, in the most positive of ways, which can be really challenging when someone has an eating disorder. Um, Yes. I mean, I think that's a real kind of key question of this podcast. You mentioned that you're encouraging people to intervene how? How do people go about having this conversation, intervening if they are worried about someone? Yeah, I think, again, the most important thing is to to seek the information and the evidence. So what is it that you're concerned about? We know with eating disorders is um, a really good way to kind of help people to understand sometimes is there's the person and then there's the eating disorder that it's kind of taken over that person for that, for that period of time. Um, and so what we can often find is that if someone is approached about their behaviours or their body or their appearance or what they're doing with food or exercise, they can become incredibly defensive and they can become uh, quite, be quite in denial about what, um, what, what the person is saying. So what we encourage instead is that kind of those I statements that I'm really worried about you. I've noticed that things have changed. It may be that that perhaps some eating patterns have, have changed or that you don't see yourself, is everything okay? And I guess it's those gentle, gentle questions when speaking to somebody that you really care and love that's really important. Never an ambush, like any type of intervention when someone's concerned about somebody, it's to be done in a way that is really respectful, that it's done in private, it's done at a time when people aren't overly heightened or but where we're really genuinely seeking out to see if somebody is okay. Uh, and then, of course, being that person there that says, well, you know, if, if someone did disclose that, yes, I'm actually really struggling with 
the way I'm feeling about my body or my eating is really controlling the way that I'm um, living at the moment or my exercise is that then there's that next step of, of where to go and what to do. Um, and that can be really tough to know as well. So the Butterfly National Helpline is, is a really great resource that people can use um, and encourage people to call. Uh, but also people who are not sure how to intervene with somebody or how to have a conversation or whether what they're worried about is actually something to be worried about at all can all be discussed with the people on the, the end of the helpline. And sometimes I think people can be reluctant to intervene because they're scared they might say the wrong thing or they, they might get it wrong. Are there times when intervening can make it worse or do you generally recommend if you're worried you should say something? Every case is going to be different um, and I guess different approaches will have definitely different outcomes. If the person on the other side feels like they're being attacked or that they're being that they're really being scrutinised, that can really flare an eating disorder up and it can can have an adverse effect. But anything where there seems to be judgment or shame or um, language that in, in some way suggests that the person is choosing these behaviours, you know, that, that typical response of can't you see what you're doing to yourself or do you know what you're doing to your mother or your sister or your partner or whatever that might be, um, that kind of language can be very inflammatory and obviously counterproductive when we're trying to, to help somebody. I think when we're intervening with someone with an eating disorder, it's it's considering that there's a person in there and they're really struggling and coming, coming towards and, and talking with them in a compassionate way that's non-blaming, non-shaming, non-judgmental, but really seeking out and sharing that you're concerned about them is kind of the best best approach. You might need to do it a number of times. It might not be the first time that works. Um, and, of course, it can be really frightening to approach somebody and think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to set them off. Or, but when an eating disorder is developing or has developed, intervening as often and as regularly as you can to try to help that person to seek the support that they need to recover is really important. Yeah, I read on the Butterfly Foundation website that less than a quarter of people are actually getting treatment or support. Why is it that so few people are getting the help they need? It's pretty devastating, isn't it, when you when you hear that because you know that there's people who are really struggling in silence or just battling battling on their own or that they might be just living in their home with their family or a partner or uh, even a child who's trying to support them through this without actually engaging actively in um, in treatment. And again, stigma is a big thing that um, is a barrier, but also that people might be financial. People can't actually um, fund uh, treatment for themselves or the area that they live in is limiting in what's available to them. They may have tried and felt disheartened by the system and therefore a bit... Um, a bit scared to re-enter. So there's so many different reasons as to why people aren't engaged in treatment um, and it's definitely something that hopefully by raising more awareness of, I guess, you know, things even through our, our helpline is that we've just seen an, an increase in um, in calls and people actually saying, I think this is an eating disorder and being right. Um, and that comes through raising awareness and helping people to understand that their thinking and the behaviours that they're experiencing isn't actually for want of a better word, normal, um, that it's actually or healthy or something that they need to put up with that it is a flag that there's something more serious that that's being experienced. And when we go back to trying to have empower people to help those in their circle of people they think that might be experiencing this, 
How would you approach that? So if you have someone, whether it's a loved one, a family member, a colleague that you think is experiencing an eating disorder, but they are reluctant to reach out for help for a whole plethora of reasons, how can you approach that to try and connect them to help or encourage them to try and get help again? I think the best thing you can do is empower yourself in that moment to be that person that's there for them. So it might be as simple as just, you know, one of the things that that we know with eating disorders and, to be honest, any other mental illnesses, it's incredibly isolating. And so people's eating disorders will drag them away from the people that love and, and care for them the most and it even might be colleagues or friends, whatever, whatever that might be. So if you know someone or you're worried about someone, it is about arming yourself with all the information so that you know what eating disorders are and, again, reaching out and, and seeking support for yourself and just being there even physically for that person. So it might be it keep inviting them to go places or checking in or having conversations that might not be an intervention, so to speak, but just actually letting them become a trusted person in that person's life um, so that, you know, when the time does come that they identify and realise that actually, yes, this is something that's a problem um, that they that they know that you're there, um, and unfortunately, that can be really tricky if there's physical issues or there's medical complications and consequences associated with it. You can't be so gently, gently, and and it might need to be, you know, really encouraging that person um, to seek medical support, or because we know that unfortunately the medical consequences for um, with an eating disorder can be really really damaging and dire so you know it depends on your situation and what's being experienced with somebody um but of course if you're ever concerned about someone medically um and particularly in that moment it is about calling triple zero and accessing medical support for that person but if it is about just um being able to try to coax them into talking and sharing what's going on um it is about learning everything that you can and 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 being there for that person um and just doing those, you know, check-ins and um, along the way. Um, just to turn the question around for a second, it can actually be really difficult to have a loved one that's going through something like this and to see them see them going through it and whether you believe that they're doing it to themselves or for whether you understand it or not. Do you have any advice about how people can look after themselves when they're trying to be supportive? Yeah, we know that people caring for people with eating disorders um, often report that they feel incredibly helpless, that they're frustrated, that they are scared. Uh, There's lots of different emotions and they're unfortunately not really good ones. Um, And so we know that if someone is engaged in treatment, trying to care for oneself is really important as well. And so that is about having some boundaries around yourself to make sure that, you know, whatever self-care looks like for you, which might be just being able to sit down and have a cup of tea or going for a walk or talking with somebody that you um, that you like or seeking professional help for yourself um, as well is, is really important. Um, but, again, it's what works for you in that in that moment and that time and, and with your situation and with your financial situation and work situation, um, you know, there are lots of different things to consider, but it is okay for a carer to say, oh gosh, I'm, you know, carer fatigue is a really significant thing and particularly with eating disorders. So um, it's okay to say you need to just have a moment out or if you get cross or frustrated or, or angry at the person, trying to be direct anger towards an eating disorder rather than the person themselves and try to keep that separate. Um, but also just like, 
you know, any situation. There's we're human beings living um, living through these all sorts of times, and and living with an eating disorder in your house house can be incredibly challenging for everybody. So we do our best, and we um, try to be be kind to ourselves as best we can during that time. Unless you're a health professional, you can't diagnose somebody with an eating disorder. But if you're worried about a loved one, you should intervene. Family and friends play a crucial role in the care, support and recovery of people with eating disorders. You can help by just being there. Start by becoming informed. Then ask them if they're okay. Don't ambush them, but approach them from a non-blaming, non-shaming, compassionate point of view. Encourage the person to seek medical support. And don't forget to look after yourself. Caring for someone with an eating disorder is a huge responsibility and comes with considerable personal strain. Make sure you're getting the support that you need. You can find more information about how to support both yourself and your loved one at the Butterfly Foundation. Visit butterfly.org.au. And if you need help or support for an eating disorder or body image issue, please call Butterfly's National Helpline on 1800 334 673 or email support at butterfly.org.au. How Can I Help is written and produced by me, Wendy Williams, with sound editing from Stefan Johnson and additional support from Maggie Coggan, Luke Michael, and Nikki Stefanoff. If you like this episode, please hit subscribe and share it with your friends. If this has inspired you, you have a story about a time when you've helped someone or failed to, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by emailing news at probonoaustralia.com.au. And remember, You can visit probonoaustralia.com.au for all the latest news across the social economy.